if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today I'd like to welcome back Jonna McLean to Horse Chats. Jonna has been a regular guest, great support. He's always got something interesting to say and always got so much depth of knowledge, not just knowledge, but the depth of knowledge about training. And today we're going to talk about going right back, I can't remember how many, 65 million years, to understanding horse evolution. And we're not going to talk about how it relates to training today because there's so much to talk about just understanding the horse evolution. And as usual with with John, of course, he goes into a fair bit of detail. But next time we'll talk about regarding training and the evolution. But first, I think you need to understand the evolution to really understand how evolution has affected horses' behaviour and how we can understand the behaviour a bit more in regard to training. But just before I do that, I'd like to remind you that International Horse College has a mission to improve the welfare of horses around the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers. And this podcast is a complement to that, you know, bringing you that education. And I think Jonna is just so, so solid on his education. It's just a perfect match. Registered Training Organisation 31352 and have a look at the wide variety of equine courses at International Horse College. Jonna, how are you today? Welcome back. Thank you, Glenis. I am well and it's good to be back and it does seem that we haven't talked for a fair while. Less than 65 million years, that's for sure. Yes, (laughs) yes indeed. Um, That's right. Well, I, I, I thought that I would kick off this conversation simply by saying that 66 million years ago, an asteroid came from outer space and plunged into Earth, uh, about where the uh, Yucatan Peninsula is, not far from Mexico. And as a result of that, it plunged the whole world into a nuclear winter for many, many years. And pretty much 90% of all animals and plants were destroyed, including all those things in the ocean as well, were destroyed. And so... Planet Earth had to start over again. But the amazing thing out of this is that had it not been for that asteroid, we wouldn't have had the rise of the mammals, including ourselves, and also including horses. So I've gone back that far because that is really the beginning. So life itself on planet Earth had to start all over again. So it's quite remarkable, really. And and that's not the first time that this has happened. It seems to have happened quite a few times. I think six or seven times in Earth's history this has happened. But this is the one that relates to horses. I want to know the start point for horses. Was that 66 million years ago or a little bit less time than that? Yes, it was 10 million years later, about 54, 55 million years later, when, uh, so 10 million years after the impact, that the very first horse fossils had been discovered. And we called that the dawn horse, Eohippus is his scientific name. And Eohippus was a very, very small horse. It was only, you know, barely 30 centimetres high at the shoulder or at the wither, if you like. It was nothing like the horse that we know of today. It was more like a very mini deer with a quite a short snout and four or five toes. And that enabled the 
animal hippus to be able to browse on leaves and it lived in forests. It didn't live on grassland. It was living in forests. So I'm not sure if anybody has ever Googled that, but if they do, they'll see that the what the scientists think Aeohippus looked like was chestnut in colour with white dots all over it. So it was able to blend into the foliage with the sunlight shining through it and camouflage was its greatest attribute as well as flight. So it had to be able to um, escape predators very, very fast. And that is really its diet and its predation is really what determined the changes all the way through to present day spanning 55 million years. Wow. Now, where did the Eohippus exist? You know, what country, whereabouts? I'm sure, you know, it didn't evolve around the earth, but particularly where it did exist in the beginning. So if we look at North America and and Eurasia as a a general landmass, 55 million years ago, if anybody bothers to have a look at what the landmasses look like through plate tectonics, Originally, it was called Pangaea from a geological point of view. That's what it was called. But it was one larger landmass that ended up breaking up into several plates and they became separate continents and uh, were all, you know, girt and surrounded by oceans. That then enabled the all the populations of animals, including horses, to be able to become very, very good at exploiting a particular niche. And the forest and the lush foliage of the time enabled them to be able to camouflage and escape their predators over these land masses. And so North America was a big part of that and other continents as well that were connected at that time 55 million years ago. So 55 million years ago we had the Eohippus. You've described how big it was, what it looked like, what it eats. But that's still a long way from the horses that we have today. So what was the next stage of the the evolution, you know, was there a reason why it occurred? Was it, um, first of all, why, what was the next stage, but why? Why, you know, obviously they're going to, to evolve because of a reason, so I need to know the reason as well. The reasons from a physiological point of view is that from a being able to have a reliable food source and procreate, but also being able to escape their predators. Remember, the predators are evolving as well, and you have to keep up with the predators, otherwise you'll become extinct. So flight, speed, and endurance were a fairly big a fairly big order of the day. So the next thing that we start to see is that instead of these toes that Eohippus had, the next stage was called Merichippus. And Merichippus then had toes, but they had tiny little hooves on each toe. So those toes gave it a little bit more purchase, a little bit more power and the ability to be able to flee very quickly. The other thing that's interesting about their physiology is that their front legs were much shorter than their hind legs. The hind legs were quite long compared to the front limbs and that gave them an enormous amount of power. Mind you, it's still a very lightly framed animal. We're only talking about 50 pounds. Uh, what does 50 pounds? I don't know what 50 pounds is in kilos, but 50 pounds isn't much at all. So it's only very, very small. And, of course, they lived in herds. Of course, like most grazing animals or browsers do, they live in small family groups. And these small family groups, of course, they're being preyed upon all the time, then had to evolve means of escape and also had to start to try and 
evolve as quickly as their predators in order to survive. So one of the things that gave them a greater advantage to be able to survive was starting to have a more varied food source. And the other thing that was interesting, if you look at the skulls of these ancient horses from Eohippus, Merichippus, through to what we call the intermediate horses, is that their noses started to get a bit longer. And their noses would have enabled them to be able to pick up smells. And we also noticed changes in their teeth. So they were starting to eat a much more varied selection of their vegetarian diet. So in other words, it wasn't just leaves. It was, you know, they were browsing on all sorts of things. They were forced to do that because they were starting to be a little bit under pressure from from predation and also from climate change as well. So, you know, the, the climates were changing all the time, the continents were shifting and the predators are under pressure from every single angle. So they had to really evolve in those three aspects from a procreation point of view and also food sustainable point of view and being able to escape their predators because they were a very big food source for all sorts of animals at the time. So that leads us then to one of the things that we noticed in the fossil record is that it was at this time that we start to see a recession of the toes. And those toes, as a recession, start to become less dominant. But the front toe, the middle toe, the number two one, then merged with another one and became a single small hoof. Even though, so we now have a three, more or less a three-toed animal, and they then receded ultimately into what we see today as the splint bones for a horse. And splint bones for a horse today, you know, if a, if a horse fractures a splint bone, it's not game over like as a broken leg, but it's certainly going to cause long, reasonably uh, long-term rehabilitation for your horse because it is still part of the leg structure in the animal, still a supporting structure. And the other thing that we notice now is that from this time forward, 30 or maybe even a bit less, 25 million years ago to present day, the horses are now starting to stand on their tippy toes now, where they're starting to stand completely on these toes and then ultimately on one toe. And that gives them a very big advantage in terms of their accelerational ability. They can take off very, very quickly now because this hoof that is becoming to form is now like a single spade in the ground and it can take off very, very quickly. So their purchase and their nimble-footedness and their power and their speed and their endurance gave them the ability to be able to outrun their predators. So it's quite fascinating. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, 
maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, even just going back to the, you know, we talked about the reliable food source and you talked about flight and speed. Just wondering, though, you know, because we often see horses eat tree bark. You know, they do a lot of damage just ring barking trees. Is that going back to when all, what, did you say all they ate was leaves? Just tell us a little bit more about, you know, and I know that we're not talking about training, but it's just understanding the evolution to even just some of the behaviour that they have today. That's right, Glennis. Uh, and, and it's a really interesting shift because, I mean, we have to guess a little bit and read between the lines as paleontologists do because we started off with a, a completely classic forest browser, like a little deer. And now the horses are starting to push the boundaries and start to live in the open plains, in the open plained areas. So getting back to your question why they ate bark, Roughage is a hugely important component in a horse's diet. So we see all the time on farms where the horses have ringbarked trees and killed the trees, and it's not because most people think that it's probably because the horse is lacking a mineral deficiency. But horses just love eating bark, A, because they are completely driven by acquiring as much of the fibre as they can for their diet if they're not being fed enough of it, and the other interesting thing is that now that we're going from a browser to a more open grassland animal, that the pressure upon the horse now is to become a little bit more dynamic in that it can also browse on leaves in the forest areas, but it can also now start to survive in the open grasslands. So it's able to sustain itself by grazing enough fibre from not just leaves now, but also grass. And bark is a big part of that. And the other thing that is also interesting is hypothesised as well, is that as the horses evolved and became more grass or open-planed animals like zebras, then it makes sense to eat bark on trees because you kill the trees and then the trees die and that creates more grassland. So... The horses and other animals at the time, and I said zebras before, were really, really good at being able to push the forest back and create more grassland areas. And, of course, there's lots of animals like that as well, like bison are an open grazing grassland animal as well, and cattle as we know them today. So there was a really important niche for the horses to be able to push that because it meant that then they could grow in larger populations and it was a little bit more sustainable and so that could guarantee their their future. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, so when you talk about zebras, you know, we talk about zebras and horses, what are they called as an overall group and are there any others, different branches that um, we need to know about that go with the zebras and with the horses? You know, I'm sort of thinking mules and donkeys, but I don't know, you tell me about the different branches and what they're called. Yes, well, there are, from what I can gather so far, at least six different branches of horses that have become extinct. Okay. We could go into those, and, 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 and some of those ones that weren't extinct obviously evolved into zebras and donkeys, and etc. But there are so many branches. We could talk about those branches, and I had to be really careful with my research here just to stay on track with the horses because it was only... It was only going to create a distraction to me trying to research material for this, that it's easy to go up one branch and then realise that it's a complete dead end when you got to the end of it. 
So there's many of them. So you know, it's quite interesting because at the end of the day, the horse as we know it has been successful when there have been so many other opportunities presented, yet they've failed for the other branches. It's quite amazing, really, that, you know, the horse is, uh, he's, he's the successor of all that evolution spanning 55 million years. It's quite amazing. You talked about the modern horse. What's it called? What's the correct terminology? Do we call it equine or is there another word? Or Equus calibus is, is the effort of how long's the modern horse then been around, the Equus calibus? How long have we had them? We like to think that three million years ago to present day is a modern day horse. Okay. They've been through quite a lot, haven't they? You know, you, you go back to 55 million and get to three million and they're the modern yeah, horse, yeah. yeah. So they're not, it's not been a long time at all in the, in the scheme of time. But the other interesting thing I just want to add before we talk about training is right up until three million years ago, and we see little, we see little evidences of this in um, in some of the uh, horses that are around today that are obviously related and uh, uh, um, related to the horse. Is that they had stripes on their hindquarter and up their back, and also we see the dorsal stripe coming out over their back as well. And we see that in some of the horses that are ancestors of our horse today. So it's really quite interesting. We still see evidence of the of the dawn horse because they start off, we think, with uh, dots and splotches and then it went to bands and stripes. A bit the same as a zebra. So, you know, I mean, we're talking about dots. Dots actually help you camouflage in the forest because the dappled sunlight, like deer, have dots. But then we start to get into the open plains and we start doing bands like zebras. So... That, that's that's the answer to that. So from a from a um, from a phenotypical point of view, that's um, uh, just an interesting point. But we still see evidences of that on the uh, other horses that we have that are related to uh, Equus calibus with a dark band straight up their spine and the dark mane and tail, of course. So it's interesting. But anyway. I'm, I'm being divergent. So what was the training question? I forgot it, sorry. Well, I think we were just talking about, you know, how long they've been around, but what about the actual riding of horses? How long have humans, people, been riding horses? And that, I think were they driving them first or how long, you know, how long has it been that, that we've been associated as humans rather than, you know, just some animals that live on the plane that probably are good eating meat? Well, I would have to go back to my original research source to find out more accurate dates, and I don't really want to have a bash at that, but I will say is that ever since humans uh, or hominids have been around, we've been eating horses. So we've been hunting them first of all, and then I think it wasn't that um, you know too far down the track where we were able to farm them and, and um, start to use them as sources of, of nutrition, not just for eating, obviously, but also milking them as well. And then later became transport and um, being able to use them for hunting other animals. And and that's, you know, that's another topic all over again because I think that probably the next step is the evolution of riding would be a sensational topic and that deserves um, a, 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 a own topic, doesn't it? Because when we start talking about being able to walk somewhere compared to riding a horse, it's ridiculous how far you can go. So 
that's a that's another topic, and we should probably think about that. Yeah, I, I think that would be certainly an interesting one, and certainly one that you know we can go into and we can talk about training. And I think the more we see where we've come from, the more we can understand where we want to go. You know, and I think that's important. Jonathan, you know, we've we've covered sixty six million years here tonight. You know, I've got to say thank you, and I'm. It is, it's very interesting, you know, in the way that they've developed through food and getting away from predators, I suppose, mostly. That's, you know, if you sort of put it down to a couple of things. Yeah, interesting. And I can understand horses a little more now about, you know, their whole trying to get away, you know, the whole um, flight, they try and get away from things in a hurry and they try and run away and that's just part of their, their natural instinct. But I suppose they had to have that just to, uh, to be able to survive. Absolutely, and you th- if you think about predators even today and the predators that would have had, obviously, you know, fairly recent pressures upon even the modern horse in, in the wild, is that by the time they're hunting something, they're already at maximum acceleration. So the horse has to be able to go from zero to above that speed in a much shorter period of time by the time it detects it. So it's not surprising that the horse has one of the largest eyes of any mammal on the planet for its body size. Its hearing is acute and its range is far greater than humans. Its nose and its sense of smell is quite extraordinary and that's why horses have such a large nasal passages with large nostrils and also to be able to um, take in large volumes of oxygen to be able to um, use energy as well. And being able to propel themselves and have the structure and the physical force behind the energy sources being able to propel them from zero to you know 70 kilometers an hour in a split second is what's enabled them to survive and really that's why we do you know horse racing I guess and that's why we all love galloping horses because they are just amazingly powerful noble absolutely amazing in their capability is extraordinary and to think that we can ride them i i still am completely gobsmacked by the fact that we are able to ride these animals it still amazes me every every day it is isn't it i think that's why we um you know have that special bond with them the fact that they've come from you know not not so much the evolution that we've got it but what they've evolved into now and allowing us to be able to connect with them. I think uh, it is it's, it's something very special. And the other thing is, too, Glenis, we still have in zoos, you know, the Przewalski horse. And if anybody is interested in, in, in this topic, they can go to zoos and go to places where they have these have these horses and you can still see them. And, and they're, a, you know, an ancient lineage of the horse. It's, it's quite amazing. And and herds of them. I think um, Taronga's got Taronga. What's the what's the one that's the the farm? It's not Taronga. It's the um, the open plains up, yeah, up in New South Wales. Yes, yes. What's that called? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's right. yeah. You know the one I mean, anyway. But but you go to, to basically where they spell the animals from Taronga. But it's an open plains one. It's quite a big one. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I haven't been there. I haven't been there yet. Yeah. If you do, Johnny, you've got to stay there. When you stay there, you stay in the um, sort of like a cabin camper, but you look out in the morning and it looks like you're on the open plains because the way they've got it is between the cabin and all the open plains animals, there's 
a big ditch and at the bottom of the ditch there's a big fence so the animals can't get through but they have all the animals on the open plains so you look out across and it just look you're on the open plains just amazing yes a it's in Dubbo yeah Dubbo yes yeah Anyway, we're sort of moving already from, from horses to, um, you know, how they've evolved. But it's certainly very interesting and I think um, the evolution of the connection between um, humans and horses is one to be explored. I think all these subjects, John, you know, we've started off from just the very first training and I tell you, listeners, if you haven't gone back and listened to some of John's chats, such a wide variety, we've started off from just training the young foal and brought it all through, you know, from the weanling to the yearling and just riding it and, you know, taking it. I think we did some dressage and jumping and cross-country and, you know, we sort of kept going and exploring all these different subjects. So I would urge you to go back and have a listen to them. Very, very, very interesting. Jonna, thank you again. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your time, sharing your knowledge. It's been very, very good. So um I would like to certainly invite you back again and look forward to catching up with you again. If people would like to contact you, what's the best way? Is it your email or phone number or Facebook page? What's the best? Is it Train to Win? Yeah, my Train to Win Facebook page is the best way and that's where I get um, most of my mail and my requests from. Um, and the other one is you can just send me a message during uh, on my email, which is McLean at gmail.com, J-O-N-N-A. McLean, M-C-L-E-A-N, at gmail.com. And as I said, train, the Train to Win pages um, or my Facebook page, either way, it doesn't mm. really matter, um, is the best way to get in touch with me with any of those questions or, or queries. Okay. And if you've missed that, um, all of John's contact details are at the bottom of each page. So just go to horsechats.com, search for Jonna or search for McLean, and you'll find on any of those pages, you'll find all his contact details at the bottom all right, thanks, Jonna. Look forward to catching up with you again. Talk to you soon. Bye. A pleasure. Thank you. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 